looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Uh, today's guest, we have Andrew Dunn. Andrew's from WG Group over in Las Vegas. Uh, they're doing a lot of different things with their portfolio and their suite of real estate. They do residential, they do commercial, they do flips, they do land development. I mean, they do a lot of different things, and they've been in business since, I believe, the 70s, uh, Andrew said. So I hope you guys do enjoy today's episode because Andrew's really great on having mindset of how things should be done in this business of real estate and how to be successful. And he's only 24 and he's already accomplished a lot being with the companies he's with. I also really hope you guys are enjoying the episodes I'm putting out as uh, this podcast has been going on for just about a year now. I started in January of 2020 and my oh my, has 2020 been a crazy year as I'm sure all you guys know. And if you guys are enjoying the show, and you guys have a guest you'd like to come on or there's a topic you'd like to hear about or something different you'd like in the show, I'm always open to feedback. So shoot me a DM at, on Instagram at Dante Belmonte or even shoot me an email, Dante at victorycapgroup.com. I love talking to you guys. I love answering your questions and I also like getting your feedback. So if you can do that, that'd be great. Feel free to head over to Apple Podcast if you're listening there. Give us a five-star rating, write us a review. That always helps out the show as well. And enjoy today's episode. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, in this week's episode, we've got Andrew Dunn on the show. He's with WG Group Real Estate. Andrew, would you like to uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Hey, guys, uh, my name's Andrew Dunn. I'm based out of Las Vegas. Uh, work for a development group uh, called the WG Group out in Las Vegas. Uh, we're a value-add uh, investment group out here, uh, just doing real estate deals across the country, mainly in the Mountain West and the West Coast, but uh, take a look, a little bit of look at everything and have a good time and doing it. Yeah. I mean, what you said right there is so true. You know, we're a real estate company. We take a look at everything is very true because when I was looking at your guys' uh, portfolio, your different projects on your website, which is pretty impressive, you guys had everything and we were just kind of chatting a little bit about mm. you said an oil field or something you guys were looking at all the way up to some yeah. office buildings. So like everywhere in between. So talk to us real quick about um, the history of the company um, yeah. and exactly what you're doing at WG. And then we'll uh, dive in a little bit more. Yeah. So it was founded by two guys in 1978. Uh, one of the, there's two partners, one's now 65, the other's about 75. And it was on a handshake agreement and some stuff was happening in the younger one's life. And the older one was basically like, all right, come do this deal with me. And he came down as a hundred unit section eight apartment complex in Canberra, New Jersey. The younger one had no money. He managed the building, fixed it up. The other one put up the money, did more of the finance stuff and the partnership began and they were operated on a handshake agreement for, I believe, 38 years. No wow, formal paper. There. Yeah, leap of faith. Just like, no, but it was, that's, it's the old school mentality. And so right. from there, they just did deals across the country throughout the Midwest, the Northeast, down into the Southeast, um, over into Hawaii. And then in 2010, they really contracted back because they're kind of nationwide guys. Like, where are we going to hunker down? And one of the 
worst financial crises in our history. Um, so they picked Las Vegas. Um, in 2010 to probably 2016, they were the largest mid-market distressed property buyers in the Valley. Um, they've done some substantial redevelopments uh, where, uh, where for people that are unfamiliar, Vegas was one of the hardest hit places during the global financial crisis. Town was in shambles. Uh, buildings were left half built. Um, everybody vacated like overnight. Casinos were empty and they saw it as an opportunity and had the relationships to, to kind of do some deals. So from there, uh, I mean, they've been flipping homes, doing office hotels, retail, industrial, um, storage, uh, kind of, you name it, they've done it. And so that's how we've kind of gotten to here. And so what I do for the company is I do a little bit of everything because we're such a boutique group. It's basically the two partners, uh, they each have their own executive assistance and then I'm here. Um, I'm more directed to the younger partner. Um, but I do marketing, help with leasing, contract negotiations, acquisitions, uh, property management, uh, financial analysis. Like, I mean, it's You're just wearing really a just, few hats, nothing. Yeah. Special. Yeah. Nothing special. I just take a fire hose every morning and just like, yeah. take it as this. Like, I'm like, what take do you need from me? Face. I'm just like, what do you need from me, boss? He's like, I right, do this, 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 this. I'm like, okay. All right. But he's just funny. Cause he's a Hawaii. I'm more highly energetic and he's from Hawaii and he's just like slow, slow, Andrew. And I'm like, okay, right. okay, so, don't worry. We just have like a hundred things to talk about, but I'll go slow. <laughs> yeah, I'll go slow. So the, these gentlemen, they're a little bit on the older side mm -hmm. uh, because they've been doing this for a while. How involved are they still in the company and day to day and, and everything that goes on? Every heavily, heavily involved. Wow. Uh, for that. The older one has more taken a passive role, just but he's it's sure. not passive. He'll check in all the time, um, but that's the beauty of real estate, right? It's that passive income stream, relatively, yep. you know, depending on what you're working on. But the the younger one, I talk to every day. That guy is a grinder. He's my mentor, and I mean, I'll get he's in Hawaii. I'll get emails from him at three o'clock in the morning his time, six o'clock or seven o'clock my time, and I'm like, okay, this is great. Like I'm and as a junior associate. You yeah. got to be like, well, I got to match this wavelength or else like, how am I ever going to excel? I want to show this guy that I can handle it. Yeah. Um, I... Yeah. So, but I mean, he's cool. He surfs, he dives. Um, he's a very outdoorsy guy and we've gone a couple trips together and he's just a very charismatic and free living, free flowing guy, but he's involved every day. Just because that's now, how he has it set up. He's just controlling. But right. Yeah. That's how, as business owners, as, you know, executives like this, you know, that's kind of how you are. That's the personality you have, which is great. And with someone your age, you're definitely on the younger side, you know, as am I, but how do you end up with an opportunity like this in a position like this at such a young age? Is that something you're willing to share or something we're going to steer clear of? No, we're going to share it because at the end of the day, it's, it's part of my story. And I, I like right. to tell people that. So I, a little bit of background on where I grew up. I grew up in Laguna Beach, California, lived there for 18 years. Um, then I went up to a little liberal arts university called the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington, just like 2,700 students for undergrad, like very small. And so you get to know a lot of people, right? And right. so I'm up there, I meet a girl, uh, a girl and I get very serious and she's like, your best dad, friends. Please. Wait for it. Um, so, <laughs> so we meet and everything, and it's my senior year, and my my dad has a heart attack and, and dies in oh, in geez. November in November of my senior year. So like right as I was about Sorry to kind of graduate, 
no, you're totally good. Um, because without it, ironically, I don't think I would have gotten this opportunity. And yeah. so, I mean, when one door closes, another one opens. That's how I live Amen my life. That, yeah. And um, so I was supposed to work at a, some pitch book company in Seattle as like a software sales guy. And the dad of this girl was like, Andrew, don't do that. Come work for me in Las Vegas. And I was like, well, what do you do? He's like, I do real estate. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? So I'm like, I don't know for real quick. Cause this obviously <laughs> isn't going to coincide at all. No. Oh no, it kind of does. I mean, I went to school for international business and finance. Okay. So I had to yeah. find, I had a finance background. So like I understood spreadsheets and numbers and um, case studies and reading about deals and business. So kind of, but not like anything close to real estate. Um, so then he was, I was like, well, what, like, what do you do? He flew me out. Um, and then I was like, came back and I was like, I had no idea what he really did, but he's like, I'll give you 800 bucks a week and I'll cover your rent for the first year. And I was like, my mom, everybody told me not to do it. Like they everybody. always will. They always, they're will. always, they're like, what are you doing? Like you're leaving down to Vegas. You're going with a girl and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I am. Like, I, I actually trust this guy for some odd stinking reason. Like I trust him. So May of 2018, packed up my Volkswagen Jetta at the time, drove down to Vegas with this girl, lived with this girl. And for the first six months, I had no job description. It was, I, I was like depressed. Hose, bipolar. Right? Yeah. I was like, I don't know what he wants me to do. And I remember like this conversation distinctively and like we were on the golf course. Cause that's like where I can only concentrate with him and he doesn't have his phone. So I, that's right. where I go out with him. And I was like, what the hell do you want me to do? Like, well, he's like, and he's like, what the hell do you mean? What I want you to do? We're doing like a hundred million in fucking real estate. And you can't tell me what I want you to do. And I was like, all right, cool. Like that was the most helpful answer. And I was like, all right, what are you going to do? So I got my real estate license. Um, we, we flip homes out here in Vegas and I was like, okay, I can start with this. And I started flipping homes like, like with him. And so like I did more of the acquisitions, I joined Facebook groups. Um, so I met with all the wholesalers. Uh, I just networked with real estate agents to help me find and source deals. I just kind of built that brand and was more boots on the ground doing an acquisitions role. And then it just progressed. And I was like, Oh, he's like, do this. He's like, do that. And I'm like, okay, like I'll take this on. I'll take this on. Just CCs me on emails and projects. And as it became more segmented in town and he splits his time between here and Hawaii, um, I became the boots on the ground. He allowed, he opened the door for me to be more of like, okay, you want to talk to me, talk to Andrew first. So you don't necessarily waste my time. And I was like, that's totally fine. Like, that's why you hire a person like me is to help you get through things, help you source deals, make your life easier. And so as time went on, I just got more and more involved in roles and still getting more and more involved in a lot of different things. And um, he's given me that full spectrum of the development and investment business. So that's, and then okay. speed it up to here. And then to answer your question, no, the girl and I are no longer together, but I still work for the dad. And what wow. we have a you read my mind on that one. I was <laughs> yeah, I just going to say conflict of interest there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's all good. COVID hit. We're best friends. I talk to her every day. It okay. just got a little too much because I ended up. You want living. to, or because you have to talk to her every day? Because <laughs> I, because I want to, because I want to. I know, She's I a wonderful joke. person. I yeah, know you joke. I want to. No, the funny story is, I so after he gave me the free rent, I moved into his house with him, oh his wife. So with him, the wife, and and the girlfriend, and then the girlfriend and I got a dog, and I was like, oh god, I was like, okay. I was like, and then like COVID hit and we were like locked down from March to May. 
just together, like all four of us. And I'm like, all right, I'm waking up at five 30. I see the dad. We're each having coffee. And then we don't leave each other until like nine to 10 o'clock at night. So I'm like, it just he's was your like new girlfriend. That's why <laughs> yeah, he's my new girlfriend. Exactly. And so I'm just like, this was just breaking down to happen, but we're all friends. We're all family. And then now we're here at our today. And here we that's, go. That's crazy. So great story, right? <laughs> it, that is a phenomenal story. I mean, that is, that's the highlight right there. So is this the younger partner of the two for this company then is this yes. Gentleman? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that is great. Yeah, man. No, so that's, that's you guys have so much going on and you have so much on your plate. How do mm-hmm. you guys stay organized and kind of focus on where you want to be? Cause you're doing flips, you're doing different value adds, apartments, oil. I mean, I see a lot going on here. How do you guys stay organized with all of it? Do you guys have different people in different aspects? Are there a lot of employees I, that help out? I, I think the biggest thing is lean machine is what I've learned. We don't have those employees. We outsource heavily. We don't have internal accounting necessarily. Like the executive assistants are the bookkeepers for like, and they do all the cash reports for the bosses to really see kind of where they're at. But mm-hmm. um, like, I mean, we use, we use outside brokers. I'm licensed, but we used outside brokers. We, we have outside contractors that we partner with. We have outside property managers. Um, we have outside lenders. Like, I mean, it's kind of funny, like just depending on how heavily you're involved in that development process, but we're more of a redevelopment and repurposement um, business, not necessarily the ground up side of things. And also on the ground up side of things, like we just partner with people. We partner with other equity groups. We partner with other general partners. And then also maybe sometimes we'll bring on a development consultant to make sure we're making sure everything's going on. So we're able to operate so efficiently because of our lean team. And and trust me, yes, our bandwidth gets hit. So that's why we're like, really, guys, what markets are we focusing on? And so we have our stuff in Hawaii. We have our stuff out here in Nevada. But mainly we're in Nevada. Um, We're trying to make ways up up north to maybe Boise or, or, or over to I've been trying to get in Salt Lake for a while. Um, but okay. the thing about our business is, and us as quote unquote deal guys, I have to like, you have to go to those markets and you have to bro down with these people. You have to take them out to dinner. You have to get involved and they have to show you're legit. And sometimes it'll take you a year to really just at least get a deal done. I remember to get up to Reno, I went up there in March of 2019 and then we closed on our first property in December of 19. So it took wow, that so it took long a full year. Yeah, it took almost a full year to, to finally get a deal done. So that, but that's the nature of our business. And people in those towns, they aren't going to take you legitly. And you also aren't going to understand the market. Um, no, no. So, yeah. yeah, you aren't. So it's really about where are our strengths? Who do we know? And let's not go crazy outside the spectrum. And let's just see where we can best spend our time. And then, so, I mean, like in our world, you can spend 100 hours on a project and nothing gets done. And you just wasted a hundred, you didn't waste a hundred hours because uh, doing, not doing a deal versus doing a bad deal is better. Um, So I guess for us, it's just partnering with people and making those strategic partnerships and leveraging those relationships to help guide us and help partner us. We are not the type of people who think we can do this on our own. It's all just about fostering healthy and strong relationships to be successful. Yeah. Because I mean, if, if we go to your website and you go to partners, you know, we could see a lot of the partners that you guys have done projects with is what it looks like. 
are you guys raising capital at all? Or is it a majority of partnerships or your own guys portfolio? Cause you've been doing this for so long. You've been able to do such a large capital stack. Um, I think it's more, it's, it's a combo. Um, okay. We don't do the traditional syndication model. Um, they aren't syndicators um, based on what I've done. Um, they've just like, yeah, more, more joint ventureships and like, Hey, like, Dante, you want to go and do this deal with me? Like I put up 50, you put up 50, let's do it. Like, or it's okay. just like, I'll put up 25, you put up 75, but we go 50, 50. Cause I'll do all the work. Right. Um, and, and you just kind of sit back and put jump in whenever you need to. So they've just made a lot of healthy relationships over the years, but I'm sure that helps with deal flow and, and everything all together. Yeah. Full circle, oh, full circle, man. And we've looked at it. I mean, I'm looking at the crowdfunding. I'm looking at the syndication model because the way we do deals, it kind of, it shrinks your box heavily because you just, you aren't charging fees. You know what okay. I mean? You aren't charging asset management fees. You aren't charging development fees because you're in these friends and family relationships. And it's just straight pound for pound money, equity split. That's it. Right. Straight you have, you have no split. SEC. You have to worry about, no. you don't have to file with the SEC or securities exchange, all that good stuff. Now, yeah. Uh, real quick side note, Tell me. you're the value add guy on Instagram. So just yeah. want to put that out there for everyone. A little side thing, Andrew, you do is you have this Instagram page, how we met um, the value add guy. You've got some great content you put out there. How the heck you have enough bandwidth to do that while doing all this? God bless you. Uh, <laughs> I dropped the ball. I dropped the ball a lot on it. And that's like something where I'm like, I just got to hire somebody to help me put out this content. I'll just kind of right, direct like a them. Social media marketing yeah. manager or something. So yeah. But I mean, it's why I want to do it is to meet people like you, like you DM me through Instagram, like, Hey, like your content, like, let's do a podcast. I'm like, great. Let's do a podcast because yeah. otherwise you and I would have never connected. And that's and, where, and that's what I yeah. always say too. social media. Yeah. How would this have ever happened? I've got friends on the other coast that I would have never met. Yeah. No. And that's exactly it. It's what social media has really changed the game. And that's where I'm telling like my, the boss and everything is like, Hey, look, let's, let's really kind of check this out. The world's changing. I think we can go out like, like with crowdfunding, like, I don't, like I've heard stories. I've had friends that have done these deals and dude, they'll, they'll oversubscribe a $5 million equity raise in a matter of hours in less than a day. They have the money raised because of who the sponsor is because of the deal. And I'm like, okay, you're charging fees. These people don't know anything really about real estate. I mean, they do, but they don't, not at the level of kind of like we're operating at on the- Right, that's why they're in the passive role, so to speak. Yeah, and that's exactly it. So it's like, all right, I love the friends and family model, but like, all right, maybe just for a little bit more work, we make a lot more money and can actually spread our capital out a lot more. So we're looking at that and looking at other fundraising syndication models, but um, no, the whole value add guy thing is I, I love talking about real estate. It's, it's truly my passion. I, I'm so grateful that like my crazy situation ended up here, but great story, it's great. Story. Yeah, I love it. Right. I know. Right. And, but at the end of the day, it's just a wonderful thing to talk about and we could talk about it for hours and there's so many different ways to skin the cat and it, it's just awesome. I, I could dive into every single deal, every single different opportunity, every single way to which make money. And there's, I'm still learning about new oh, ways. So yeah. many different kinds in, in yeah. real estate. There's, you know, I just, I just, on my personal portfolio, I just finished a, a the Burr, so a refinance on one of my projects. And I'm just like, Congratulations. thank you. But I'm just like, I'm blown away at how real estate works, how you can leverage it and the different opportunities it makes. And just, 
you know, the fact that you're able to pull out tax free, all the money you put in and yeah. onto the next. And it's just, you can't do that in any other investment. That's why I find that to be so important. Um, yeah. I mean, you and I could do a whole series, a whole podcast on just yeah. different kind of projects and what you guys have done personally, and you know, what we've yeah. done as well. Um, but let's touch on that a little bit. So is there a, fav- a favorite project or a highlight project that you'd like to talk about that you guys are in the middle of, or you guys have completed one that um, you really just think represents your company? I think the one that actually represents our company was a deal that I wasn't a part of. And okay. it was called the Gramercy. Um, it was a 500,000 square foot mixed use project um, in the Southwest in Las Vegas. Um, it was a dilapidated unfinished project. They blew up a nine story building uh, because they couldn't make the numbers work. It was 186 apartment units and then like 500,000 feet of commercial and um, retail. And they went in there and they bought it on a, not like a bankruptcy. It was a, like a note foreclosure and they negotiated the note foreclosure in there and they bought the note for like $20 million. Then over the next four or five years, uh, they spent about 50 million. And so it was like a lot of CapEx investment and everything else. And then they ended up selling the full project for about $105 million. So it was crazy. That's that they had a development partner in it. They were more not passive, but they didn't have the experience of that heavy of a project. But that was the project that whenever I go around town, I'm like, oh, this is like who these guys are. Cause you're always trying to build the brand and that's what these guys usually right. remain low key um, and everything. But that was really kind of so real quick. Did. You mm-hmm. said they didn't do a, they've never done a project of this scale of this size mm-hmm. development. Did you say they partnered with someone that kind of filled the void for them? hundred percent. So what he did, they almost like wholesaled it, but instead of like, <laughs> no, straight up the guy, my boss, like basically tied it up, negotiated the contract. And then the other guys wanted to buy it from them just like flat out. Like, what do you want? I'll pay you for it. And he's like, no, well, if you want it, we can do a joint venture structure and right. negotiated an insane deal that I got to keep disclosed. But um, it was it was just unbelievable. I, I love telling that story. But I think the two asset classes that we really go after is office and multifamily. Um, okay. We haven't done a lot of multifamily in recent years just because of how hot it is. Um, Compressed multi- cap rates like crazy. Dude, it's like multifamily and industrial. It's it's absolutely un, unreal. And then developing multifamily, you're running into cap rate compression. And that's not who we are. Um, right. We aren't cap rate like where you develop to a seven and sell at a five. Like that's just not us. Like we want to develop to eights or nines and we'd sell at fives or six or something substantial. But we don't want like that 200 basis point spread that a lot of institutions or people that get to go and raise money can do. You still make money or right. else people wouldn't be doing it. It's just not something that we see is worth our time with the risk associated with it. Um, but I going think back off, real quick to what you um, said though, about how they didn't want to sell it. They wanted to do a joint venture with that company. Mm-hmm. What I really want the listeners to understand there is you guys didn't just throw in the towel. You guys didn't try to do it a different way. You filled the gap. So you brought someone in that couldn't complete what you could do and yep. use that to your advantage. So you leveraged or your company leveraged a relationship there. And oh, yeah. I think that's something that the listeners, if they're getting one thing away from this, like I said, I look at your partnership page. You guys have so many partners on there. You've leveraged relationships. Mm-hmm. So you're using someone else to fill in the gap to, to complete a project or, or get something done. And that's huge. No, it is huge. And I think the hardest part is getting to that point. 
is because you're going to have to do a lot of the work and you kind of have to act like you know what you're doing or else people are going to say like, why the hell would I want to work with you? And in the commercial real estate world, it's very small. It's it is. really small. And like I was up in, uh, in Reno this past week and for a few days and was touring around with contractors, brokers, just local operators. And there was a name because some stuff's happening up there. Some really big and interesting things is, is this, this one name was brought up by almost everybody. And like, I wouldn't bring it up or you bring up the company and then they bring up the person and it wasn't a positive connotation associated with it. And you're just like, holy shit. But like 99% of Reno doesn't even know who this person is, but like everybody in like our little real estate world definitely oh. knows what he is. So um, you get a bad taste in somebody's mouth, they'll bail on you and, and everybody fucks up on deals. I don't want to say that anybody's perfect. We aren't perfect, but what we will do is we'll go to bat. We'll show you, we're going to put in the effort and, and we're good at what we do and we're smart. And when we look at a deal, we look at it hard. And if we write an offer, we're going to buy the deal. Like we don't just tie up a deal to just, we, I don't throw like on residential houses. I'll submit a hundred offers a week on commercial real estate. I'll maybe submit four, like two offers a month, maybe, Maybe mm. one a month. Like it's not anything like we really look for just banging really deals. core deals. Yeah. Banging deals. If it's not banging deal. We aren't going to touch it because of our bandwidth. Yeah. Let's touch on that real quick. So yeah. what we were just talking about cap rates, compressing basically institutes or, or groups, investment groups are willing to take lower mm. returns is what it comes mm. down to. So sometimes yeah. when these guys are winning the property or winning the bid, all that's telling us is they're willing to take the lowest return out of the groups that bid is what that's yeah. how I translate it to. Exactly. What are you guys looking for as far as returns when you guys, so obviously you're looking at different asset classes, different class properties. Mm -hmm. So it's going to differentiate a little bit, but what is your guys target that you're looking for? Like our company, we have a target we like to hit, but what is that target you guys have that you, that checks the box and says, okay, we're going to offer that on this property. Okay. We're going to move forward with that. Yeah, I mean, it's so case by case basis being because I get this question from brokers all the time, like, oh, are you equity multiple driven? Are you right? Are you IRR driven? And I'm like, honestly, it's so case by case basis. But if I don't have a 20 in front of that IRR, like as my standard, right. um, I, I'm not going to do it. And like, it's just not it's not feasible. But like you then you go on like the home flipping business, like if we were buying homes with cash. Like I shoot for straight cash basis, a 15% return, but that is in a four month time span. So if I do right. that theoretically three times in a year, that 15% now turns into a 45% return. Right. So, and then phenomenal. Now, right. And then now you take into the point of like, we've started using hard money. All right. And we're getting like loans up to 85% of total costs. Now it takes that 15% returns and turns it into a 60 to 80% return. It's, it's very interesting how you yeah. guys tackle these small flips and mm -hmm. then also these million, multi-million dollar projects. I find it very yeah. interesting how- Everybody talks how, to me about that. Yeah. <laughs> widespread it is because typically you look at someone they're like, okay, we specialize in multifamily. We specialize in self-storage. We specialize in, in burrs or flips. So I find it very interesting how you guys have a very wide horizon of what you're accomplishing at, at your company. Yeah. And then, so trust me, the bandwidth hits, the bandwidth definitely <laughs> hits. And it's, it's just, but it depends like during COVID, like in, in March or when Vegas locked down in April, 
fuck, dude. I was like just watching webinars and eating ice cream at like 12 o'clock. Like it wasn't because you just didn't know what was happening. It's like, all right, like how the hell can you, how can you buy anything? Like you can't assume anything. Like we don't know what's going to happen. Like it has to be an absolute steal and that wasn't really happening. So right. it was just kind of like honkering down. So, I mean, like I've gone through waves where it's a hundred hour work week. And then I've gone through waves where I work for 20 hours a week. So it's just very dependent. And that's why I think we do so many different things is we're opportunistic in what we do and we just look for deals. And so the thing I also like about the flips is I came to Vegas in May of 2018, right? You moved to a new city. How long does it take you to get accustomed to that city? For me, because of our flipping business, it took me a year. I knew yeah. my way well around Vegas within a year because I was driving all around. I would, we did it. We'd done a deal in almost every zip code in Las Vegas. And like, without that, like I, perfect example, I was out to dinner with someone last night and she's been here for 24 years and I know more about Las Vegas and yep. where stuff is than she ever has. Isn't that and interesting I'm, how that works? Yeah. And I'm like, we just because we're in this ground business, real estate, yeah. we're looking around, we're going everywhere where these people kind of stick to their corner, so to speak. And yeah. they don't know what's around the corner. Dude, no, and, and she works in real estate, but as like a residential agent, but I'm okay, like, there you go. But she keeps to her niche and kind of like what she does. And that's what a lot of it's a successful residential agent model is just farming, picking your arrow, everything else. But that is why I love this business. I love looking at dirt. I love driving around town. No day is like the last. And I'm okay. sometimes I'm in sometimes I'm in the office from 7 a.m. until seven o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night or whatever the number is. And then sometimes I never even go into the office. And then other times I'm in, out, in, out, in, out. And so it's just depending on what my day's going on. Um, but I have turned away projects because we haven't had the bandwidth or like we'll restructure and figure something out because when deals come along, I, it's a famous Warren Buffett quote that I always butcher. It's like when it's raining gold, put out the bucket. And because it doesn't happen often. And, yeah. and that's, you just got to be ready. And if you're known as the guy, like you get around town, it's like, oh, this guy does flips. Oh my God, this guy will put up equity for a deal. This, these, these guys like do the value add thing. Look at this types of buildings and everything. And being a deal guy or a deal group gives you so much more versatility to tackle good projects and take looks, take a good gander at, at projects. So that's, that's great. And with all these different things you guys are doing, are you guys really, are you guys looking for cash flow for the company? Cause I know you guys do a lot of flips, like large flips, like commercial flips. Are you still willing to hold on to things to take some cash flow? Um, yeah. 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 We are. I mean, I, the opportunity zones did that. Mm. We, we aren't typically, I think our typical hold time is three to five years. Like okay. I, we don't really Pretty do normal anything. For like most syndicators too. Yeah, no, we're, listen, like we're very similar to a syndicator in that way. It's like you do it, you freaking lever the shit out of it. You lease it up, make your improvements or whatever you do, bring it to stabilization and get the fuck out. Um, but the opportunity zones, like we got a project up in Reno, it's 26 acres. Uh, we're going to put about 350,000 square feet of industrial on it um, for like distribution and we're going to hold it for 10 years to capture capture the opportunities on benefits. Yeah, that's that's great. And going back real quick to what you said, you know, mm -hmm. you, you you put lots of leverage on it, you lease it up, you improve it, you add up to the NOI and then you offload it to someone else. 
who are these people you guys are typically selling to? Because now it's almost like you, in some cases, some people will leave some meat on the bone. So that way there's some value add aspect left. So it's a little bit easier to sell. It mm-hmm. shows like, okay, we left a little room in the rents or we didn't do this. Some people will milk the deal for every dollar and then go sell it. And it's a very low return and very low cap rate, very low risk. Who are these groups that you're selling it to that are willing to take these lower risks pop or lower returns possibly because you guys have improved it so much? Is it like larger REITs that don't care about such a big yeah. return? Yeah. So I think it's across the board. I think typically we work for uh, regular investors who maybe need to do a 1031. We work with a lot of 1031 buyers that just need to place capital and just take an asset that's performing um, or they just like the area and they need to place their capital in the area because they really believe in the area or maybe they do see a value add component. But typically because of our buying box, like our buying box is between five and 25 million. Occasionally we'll go into that 25 and 50 million range. Um, but for the predominant factor, what we do, uh, we take a look at deals that have some institutional qualities or have the capabilities to be brought up to institutional quality that then could potentially pick, be picked up by a smaller institution or some boutique group like us. And people do in the sense, I mean, when you go market, we've sold the REITs, I've sold the one-off guys, I've sold the groups. It's just so case by case basis. There's not really a typical profile to 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 hit. You know that I'm not like I'm not like oh I'm calling Billy over at J.P. Morgan to go buy this. Like that's just not right, how right. we really do it. It's just like go broker market it and figure it out. And we don't always pick the same broker to market our properties. Whoever the strength of that broker is, we we use them. It totally ahead. makes sense. You got to stick within their asset class of what they specialize in and who's going to buy that. Um, And and I think that's such an important aspect that's not really talked about too much in this industry is the exit plan. You know, a lot of people are so hyper-focused on getting into the deal, seeing how they can build cap or build value in it. And then they don't realize who they're going to sell to and what they're going to sell to their exit plan and and how they're going to minimize their tax burden and all that good stuff. I mean, people will talk about 1031 exchange all day. doesn't mean they're always going to exercise that. So something personally we look at is, we look at year three through five where we think we're going to sell. We look at what the market cap rate is and we try to predict it by raising it maybe by one point. So therefore that'll lower our asset sale price by a little bit, but that way it's the worst case scenario. So if the market cap rate compresses more or stays where it's at, we're good to go. What are you guys kind of looking at at that exit plan standpoint? Or is it again, obviously it's case by case, but is it really just broker marketed? Um, yeah, no, it is broker marketed, but I think on an exit strategy, I don't know how you could ever do a real estate deal without an exit strategy. I, I think if you just, I, I think people who do that are going to get burned. I think they, because what do you mean? It's like, okay, buy low, sell high. What, well, what the hell does that mean? It's just like, what do you well, trade stocks? <laughs> yeah. It's like trade stocks. Like, okay, great. Yeah. Understand that. That's the most basic premise of what we do, but it's like, how am I going to, I'm buying it for this how much am I going to spend to bring it up to a value that I think I could sell it at? Like this, I got to do, we got a deal up in Reno. It's a two story, 52,000 square foot vacant flex office building standalone where we have it uh, about 110 a foot. The replacement cost on that building brand new is about probably 220 to 250, depending on dirt and TIs. Um, I, well, we think we're going to spend all in 40 to $50. All right, cool, Matt. 
40 to $50, but what can I actually sell that building for? Well, it depends on the credit of my tenant, depends on the lease term of that tenant, depends on a variety of things and depends on existing market conditions. It's office cap rates going to increase or they're going to decrease. And you do a sensitivity analysis on that to see how it affects your investment. And you also got to look up at current sales comps to see what the hell are people paying for office buildings like this. And like so I don't think- trading at yeah. what, what price per square foot on unit yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and, and you get into this world, it's just like, I mean, we're- we're mid-market guys. I'm not the big institutions that are dealing with these 40-story office buildings, but that are just ultra complex. And you're kind of like, okay, my my brain freaking hurts. Um, but like, like, yeah, you just kind of like, I have a migraine and I need an Alka-Seltzer to calm down. But um, I, I, I think it's what a lot of people don't get when you try to, because I got a lot of flipper buddies out here. And you, you flip, you go across people, you compete with people on deals, but it's all friendly, right? And they, I'm always asking, like, what's the end goal with you? And it's just like, I don't know, like maybe commercial, but I think just like build a rental portfolio. I'm like, cool, like, I want to be a, a commercial developer. But the point I'm trying to make is, is when you look at a house, it's very simple, at least in my perspective. The estimated value renovated is X because I have a series of comps that I look at. Yep. So how much does it cost for me to invest like in rehab and renovations to bring that house up to that. And you just work backwards on a purchase price to hit your return based on the cost of your money and the other cost yep. of your fees with commercial real estate. There's so many different factors that you have going into it, like credit, lease term, uh, market conditions, vacancy, stuff like that. And it's an art straight up. This is an art. It's, there is a science to it, but I, I tell a lot of people it's, 70% art, 30% science because of everything you have to bring together and the way you got to look at it because you're also selling somebody to your point of who do we sell to? Well, we're selling a dream to somebody. We're selling somebody like, ah, this is a, this is a great building and a great submarket. I love it. It's safe. It's secure. Um, maybe my money's going to be safe here for the next five or 10 years. I'll get a good return of what I'm looking yeah, for. I'll get a good return out of what I'm looking for. So I think for me, it's just when you look at deals like that, it's you do the sensitivity analysis like what you're talking about, but you just got to look at the comps. You got to look at the lease rates. You got to look at everything. And like, what do you think is going to happen in this market? Like how many people are coming into Reno? How many people are coming into Las Vegas? What's happening to home prices? What's happening to employment? Like, how can you sustain this? Like, what is there actually going to be a prospective tenant coming into the market to take this building on? So there's just a lot of different things that you have to look at. Um, in order to really analyze a deal, in my opinion, and hit that value on the exit. Yeah. Does that and answer your question? It does. Yes. Okay. You extended it, but it works. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so like something you mentioned about, you know, 70% art, 30% um, science is, is very true. And people, the, the one thing that drives me nuts about real estate investing syndications as a whole is people do it part-time. And it drives me nuts. Like when you have syndicators who are W2 professionals, working professionals, and they want to syndicate on the side, I'm like, you're out of your mind. Like, this is all I do. Everything I do is real estate related. Everything I do is around real estate and investing. And that makes sense. That's why I do syndications. That's why I'm a GP. But these GPs that are like, oh, I can't talk right now. I'm at work. It's like, you're going to trust that person with your money. Are you going to trust that person with, you know, getting the right deal for you? And I think that's crazy. So guys like yourself and I, we're the ones yeah. that people need to be, you know, looking up to and, and working with than these other oh. guys. <laughs> no, no, this is your job. This is your stinking yep. career. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how you can go and it's raise not a hobby. Five. 
No, no. It's like, it's like, I don't know how you can go raise even a million dollars, let alone 10 as a side hobby doing this. And I'm like, okay, you flip a house, you do one flip a year and that's a side hobby. I get that. Yep. I get doing the buy and hold the bird thing. That's a side, you can do that as a side hobby, but when you go as a general partner and a general promoter and, and stuff like that, you can't, you, you, you can't do that. It's just not going to work. And then, and then when somebody says like, Hey, Andrew, why the heck should I give? Cause, cause a hundred grand is a lot of money. I want to make that extra to, to a lot of people, to the average American, a hundred thousand dollars. Some, I mean, we all know, like, I think 80% of Americans don't have more than a thousand dollars in their savings account, which is like, which blows my mind. But like, yep. so now it's like that other 20% or whatever. It's like a hundred grand is a lot of money to people. And you're trying so life to like, savings hey, why am I doing? Yeah. Sometimes it's life savings. And it's like, well, why should I give you a hundred grand? It's like, well, cause this is my sinking life. And it's like, yeah. it's what's that, what's that dream that you're selling? I, and, and in development and acting as a GP, you're a composer bringing so many different art forms together. You're bringing lenders, you're bringing contractors, you're, you're bringing tenants, you're bringing brokers, you're doing all these different things to get you that point to have somebody raise your money. And I, you can do it part-time and I'm not saying you can't, I'm just saying to really be successful and to have the integrity that when shit hits the fan, because I don't know who, like if you've done real estate for 40 years or 50 years, shit will hit the fan. I'm 24. Yeah. I've, I've 24, but like we will have another recession. Shit will hit the fan even worse. I mean, we, we don't like the Vegas might be going on a lockdown again. I don't know how that's going to affect our market here in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, shit's got to hit the fan. So it's like you would promise investors money over the last five years. And you can say that you can blame it on a pandemic, but who would you feel more comfortable with on an integrity side as a GP, somebody who was there every day trying to figure this shit storm and cluster fuck out, trying to protect your guys's money or Joe Schmo who's working at some software company and is doing this as a side project. Oh, the guy, the Joe Schmo will never get another deal done in his life because he was an asshole that cared about himself versus the people's money he borrowed. And yep. he, he's true. So it's just like, it's an integrity thing more, uh, more and a brand thing and a reputation thing uh, to me more than anything. It is. And, and you totally said it as well. You know, it's fine that you do a W2 job and you do your own side rentals, you do your side burrs, your side flips with maybe some other people's money in that aspect. Yeah. But when we're talking this larger realm, the end all be all real estate, which is commercial. It's a different story. Um, yeah. I got to ask deal flow. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about your deal flow. What are you guys using strategy wise to get deal flow? How are you building the relationships? Give us a little bit, a little tidbit. You don't got to tell us all your secrets, but you yeah. got to tell us a little bit. I'm super old school. There's no okay. secrets to what I do. I'm 24 years old. My dad, um, my dad was an entrepreneur, built pizza. He owned a few pizza restaurants when he was a kid up in Wisconsin and Minnesota, sold them. And then in 1978, without knowing anybody, he moved to Las Vegas. And so within six months, my dad became the food and beverage director of the Desert Inn Hotel, worked for very prominent individuals. Like it was like the movie Casino, Martin Scorsese film. Like my dad was here when that was going on, told me some great stories. And he was here for five years and just kind of went around town. My dad taught me about the importance of personal relationships. Go, go with Dante a birthday. Go get him a card. And Dante's out in New York. Like I barely know him. He's like, do it. 
He's like, take them out to dinner, take them out to lunch, like go meet them, like understand their family, like go, yeah. go actually take an interest in people, barely talk about the fucking real estate, barely talk about the deals, like actually just talk about people and be a human being and be emotional and empathetic and, and intellectual and, and talk to these people. Don't just have a means to an end. Are there mm. things for those relationships? hundred percent. But to really say like, wow, Andrew's a funny guy. And it's just like, I, I joke about my story, right? It's like, just because I want to create that laugh for that banter, that emotional connection that you somehow have this psychological wherewithal to trust me because I now made you laugh and I gave you some emotional vulnerability. So for me, it's how we built our business is super old school. I call, I send emails, I set up meetings and I literally just, when I go into a market and I, I, I just try to meet with every single broker and build relationships and it takes a long time. I've been working on certain relationships since I got into town still haven't built them to where I want them to be. I still have a long way to go on the relationships I've fostered. It's a never ending process, but Mm -hmm. real estate is a relationship based business. Do not confuse that with anything else because people when push comes to shove. These brokers want to get paid. You think they're going to trust like we've gotten deals because we know the broker and we pay less, but they know we're going to close. Brokers want people that are going to close. So for people, it's just like, these guys are legit. They're smart. I've been on calls with them. They're going to close when push comes to shove. If the deal's right and they get the price they want, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, you got one guy over here who's going to pay a million dollars more, but can possibly close, or you guys can pay a million dollars less and you're 100% going to close. Yeah. Where are they going to? you know, where are they going to take the risk on their paycheck? They're going to take the one that's guaranteed paycheck versus a little bit extra to not. Yeah. And it's, and it's it's the strength of the offer. Like somebody coming into a new market, it's always very hard uh, to get to that point for these people. So uh, to answer your question in regards to deal flow, I mean, I do call, I don't do the off market thing a lot because that bandwidth constricted. Like I tell you, we leverage on other people. Brokers make 500 calls a week. 300 calls a week and they're on every single property you think they're going to give a shit about some guy that's trying to buy their building for less than it's worth no they're going to go to the broker say who can i sell this building to for the most amount of money and give me that guy and so for me i've tried to look into the off-market thing but like with our bandwidth my bandwidth and what we're trying to do just talk to the brokers and build relationships with the brokers and and have them help you feed the deals and and um and leverage it that way. The other thing I'm looking at is leveraging with lenders. Um, maybe in some of this forbearance crisis and some of these notes, we, that's where we've scooped up a lot, a lot of our properties and it's having these relationships with lenders and kind of being like, hey man, like what's what's the scoop? Like really, what's the strike? What's the reserve? Or can we do a deal of some sort to not have you guys bring this to auction or have you guys bring this to that and, and go from there? Um, and does that always happen? No. Sometimes you got to play the game. You're like everybody else and that's it. And they don't care who you are. You're just a number on their screen when you're placing the bids and that's how it goes. But in regards to deal flow, I'm very old school. I take people, I go to probably, I I eat out probably 10 to 15 times a week. And it's not business write-offs, right? Yeah. You can only write them off 50%. So it's not as good anymore, but um, yeah, because they changed it. (laughs) Bastards. Um, Jesus bastards. But uh. (laughs) What I'm saying is, is that you just got to be a person. Yeah. Put yourself in that person's shoes. And if you're legit and you're a human being and you're empathetic, you're going to get stuff done and you take care of people like, Hey, you, you did like, you hooked me up. Here's an extra point on the commission. Or it's like, you hooked me up. Like here's 10,000 feet. Like, here, you want a piece of the deal? Like, come on, bring it in. 
yeah. you've got to incentivize people and take care of people. Mm-hmm. And that's like what my dad taught me. And that's what my bosses have taught me is you got to take care of people. That's yeah. about it. That is, that is great. That is the best answer I could possibly get for the whole deal flow answer. I'll tell you that you got that. <laughs> All right. Head in over. Do you have anything else you want to talk about or mention? I'm going to head in over in the next section of the show. If you do not. Um, no, I'm pretty much good, man. Um, but I, I just to tell people it's, I'm very fortunate and very grateful. I'm very blessed. Um, it hasn't always been easy on the journey we've I've gone on and I'm only at the first percent of it and I can't wait for the rest of it. And, um, it's just a real estate gives people the opportunity that have no money to make a lot of money, but it's not an overnight thing. Relatively no, it's not a get rich quick. No, it's like relatively like you can make a lot of money in five years, but like you're grinding. This is a slow grind. Like I was talking with somebody, she's like, well, why did you do that? Why don't you just make commissions in development? Like, cause like in 80 to 90% of my income isn't coming for the next five years. You know, like with equity rolled into deals and stuff like that. So it's patience. But if you're patient, you will get rewarded. So it it is. And like I I had a buddy text me. He's uh he's doing really well. He's like a web developer, web web designer. He texts me, he's like, Hey, I'm I'm doing really well this year. I just got a great contract. I want to start, you know, investing with you. What do you got? And I was like, Listen, man, I just want to tell you it's not a get get rich quick scheme. Like whatever Mm -hmm. you're investing, it's gonna be tied up for three to five years minimum. Yeah. I just want you to be aware of that. And that's true because that's how this business is. It's not like you said, it's overnight. Yeah. It's the longevity. Yeah. And just like you got to convince people to take all, you got to convince people to take their emotions out of it. And yeah. it's just like, I was talking with yeah, the person I was with last night. It was just like, she's like, why would you do that? Like, like, I was like, what do you mean? Why would I do that? She's like, why don't you, you get paid now? Like, and I was like, great. Like you make money, but not money. Money. Like, yeah. money, like I want to make some money. money. <laughs> yeah. I want to make the big money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'll wait. I'm in no rush. I'm young. Right. We're young, man. Just fuck it. We I are. got no rush. So I, I mean, if a 65 year old can wait five years for money or 10 years for money, like my 24 year old ass better be able to wait for more money. Yeah. So, so that's it. That's all I'd go it's, on. It's that capital so, stack. Yeah. Um, let's uh, head over to the section of the show called the curious cues. I'm going to fire some questions at you. I ask all the guests mm-hmm. and we want to get Great. your answer on it. Um, question number one, what's your favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Joe Rogan. So, so there's, now I listen to episode, man. Oh, dude, unreal. But no, I think there's, there's, there's three of them that I really like. Um, Joe Rogan, uh, Rich Rolls, and then um, How I Built This by NPR. How I Built This by NPR is really good. I love I that built one. This, everyone, I, I get that a lot in here. It's good. It's great. I mean, you get to hear how Mark Cuban started his business or how like the guy who founded Lululemon or Ben and Jerry's like, it's a really great podcast yeah, for entrepreneurs and stuff like that. Favorite book you enjoy reading? Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. So what's that one? I haven't actually heard that one. That one's never come out, came on here. What's that one about? So that one is about a Navy SEAL, an Army Ranger, who had a horrible upbringing in childhood, beaten by his dad, couldn't read really well, rather dyslexic, poorly educated, um, tried to join the Air Force, dropped out after got discharged, gained like a hundred pounds into being like 280 or 300 at six, two saw a commercial for the Navy seals lost a hundred pounds. And I'd want to say four months to get ready for Navy seals training. He oh went Lord. through, he failed seals training twice and went back for a third time and finally got it done. So he lost all that weight is a fucking savage. And, um, 
And he just went on to be this crazy endurance dude. He actually just did the Moab 240, which is a 240 mile ultra marathon race. Um, but I read this book about a year and a half ago. And actually, I got a funny story about this. So I, I since my dad died, I wanted to change my heart health and get into the endurance game. My uncle's done a couple Ironmans. I got one planned out for November of next year. Um, and that's kind of what keeps me sane is I'm like, I, guys, I need to do my fitness. Like that's my release to keep me healthy and everything else like that. But it is a book that just, no matter what's going on in your life, it gives you the mental wherewithal and tools to say that I can do it. And the main premise and short form of the book is when you think in fitness or in life, that you can't go anymore, like you can't put that step in front of the other, you're only 40% of your capacity. So mm. like go, like grind. And so for me, like I did perfect example of this is in 2018, I tried to do a century ride. I only made it 75 miles and I failed. My legs collapsed. I, I couldn't do it. And I felt like shit. I felt demoralized. I couldn't do anything. And so I went back and February of this year, I, got, I had another century ride. And I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I was on the phone with my mom the week of the race. And I was like, I don't know what to do, mom. Like, can, can I actually do this race? And she's like, yeah, you can. And then like, I was like, mom, like, what would David Goggins say? And as soon as I said this, he runs by my car. What? He runs by, he runs by my car. I was like, I was like, mom, like, what would David Goggins do? And I was like, holy shit, it's, it's David Goggins. Oh my God. Like, I'm talking to my mom. I was like, oh my God. And, and so I was like, fuck that shit. We're doing this race. And I did the hundred miles. Like it did in like six hours and. It, it was just great. So that book's gotten me a lot through my life. And people always talk to me. It's like, how do you have so much energy? Like you go out drinking, you go out like doing these dinners and then you wake up like four hours later and you go bike 40 miles. And I'm like, yeah, cause I want it. It's like, I, I got a mental capacity. And I don't do that all the time. Like I get sleep and stuff like this, but, <laughs> but that book to me on a mental level is a book that everybody should read in their life. I've gifted it to like 15 people. It's the only book I give to people and it's my favorite book ever. Sweet. I'll have to, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome. Uh, well, for uh, in real estate um, or business. Yeah. I mean, business, I think just capital, capital and experience. Okay. I think more, more or less the experience that you, I can talk to you a big game. I can talk to you like, Oh, I do this. I do that. I don't do shit. I don't know shit. I don't know anything. No, flat Fake out. Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it, baby. Like, and, and, and that's, and that's how it is. It's like, I don't know shit. And anybody who tells you they know something, leave the room. You don't want to be around those people. And I'm always constantly learning. So I think in a world where you have guys that have done full cycle development deals, um, I'm still going through my cycles. I haven't done a full scale. I'm, I'm in the process. Experience is the hardest thing to overcome and you can't replace it. I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how many podcasts you listen to. I don't care how many meetings you sit into. You do not have the experience of a 65 year old developer that's been doing this for 45, 50 years. You just don't. And if you it's do true. something, you I, can't I think get without time. No, you just can't get without time. So I think going into a meeting and saying, this is why you should listen to me when I haven't done what these other people have done um, is the hardest thing you have to overcome. But you do what I do. You act like you don't know shit and you just kind of talk and people are like, oh, you're kind of, you're actually kind of smart. And I'm like, thanks, but I'm not. But like, I appreciate glad it. Glad I fooled you. <laughs> yeah, glad I fooled you, but thank you. So I think yeah. that's the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Favorite non-real estate related hobby. What are you doing in all that free time I know you have? 
all the free time. <laughs> I am a adrenaline and fitness junkie. Um, okay. I mountain bike, I ski, I road cycle, I run, I do the triathlons. Um, I golf. Um, I, I'm a big outdoors guy. Like, uh, I got, I'm going heli skiing in January. Um, I'm going wing walking in July and June, June or July. It just depends on the weather. And then I've done the skydiving. I've jumped, uh, I've jumped out of planes and gone bungee jumping. And, um, and then, yeah, I, I'd like, and then a couple months ago, I went up in like a prop propeller plane and did like a bunch of barrel flips and rolls and got to fly a little plane through the cans and stuff like that. So, uh, like driving fast cars and, and stuff like that. And, and I love shooting guns. There so you go. you're my kind of guy. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like to have a good time. Yeah. I hear it. I, best newbie advice you can give to someone who's looking to get started find a mentor okay find a mentor straight up your mentor is going to put you 20 years ahead of anybody else um because you're now leveraging his experience and soak it up take find people who are in the business um that are successful and take them out to lunch take them out to dinner you're going to get more out of that lunch or dinner that you spent maybe five tell them i'll take you anywhere take you to a 500 hundred dollar dinner you're going to get more out of that $500 dinner than you're going to get out of a, all the courses you spend thousands of dollars on. Because yeah. at the end of the day, most of these resources to us are free on YouTube, on some sort of publications and everything else. Find somebody that's performing at a high level. DM them every day. Gary V the shit out of them. DM them every day. <laughs> I'll take you out to dinner. I'll take you out to dinner. I'll take you out to lunch. I'll do whatever. I'll take you wherever you want. I'll come to you. I'll fucking fly over to New York to meet you. I, I don't care. Like I want to meet you. And, yeah. and just do that. Because as a younger individual, you have a nothing to value somebody unless you want to be a workhorse for them. So you got to sacrifice your resources to go meet them. And, and 500 bucks to us is completely different than 500 bucks to them. may not seem like it because of how they treat their money sometimes, but it is in relativity to wealth. So I think find the mentor, do that. Like the courses, don't do the courses shit. I, yeah, I don't see I the don't real know. value and I, I read books, listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos. There's so much online information out there to help you nowadays, but collaborate with people and, and, and just find that mentorship uh, to really help you. And if that guy opens a door for you, drop everything and follow, drop everything. Yeah. It will be the best to sit. You'll be scary. It's you really what you like, did is what you, yeah, it's what I did. It's what I did. And I'll tell people and I'm very fortunate and blessed by it. And I have a really good relationship with my guy and, um, but at the end of the day, I do bust my ass and he gives me the freedom to do what I want. Like, um, so yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, he gives me the freedom to do what I want. Like I'll, I can go bike my 40 miles. I can go like I'm tomorrow because it's Friday, Saturday, I'm going out to Valley of Fire. I'm road cycling like 20 miles. I'm mountain biking eight and then I'm running a half marathon on Sunday and I'm just kind of taking a reset. And then I was up until 2 a.m. working last night but like I, I had to work out during yesterday. So it's like, he gives me that flexibility and he understands how I work and how I'm productive, but find that mentorship that really works for you and, and just go all in on it. Yeah. I love it. Last question I got for you is where do you see yourself in 10 years? Developer. Developer. Okay. I, I, developer I, I, or value add developer? Uh, both. Both. Okay. both. I, I'd love to be a ground up developer. It's something I've always wanted. I do have a dream. I don't think I'll hit it in 10 years. I think I'll hit it in 20 to 30 I, I want an office building. I, okay. I want a building and I want it to be called the Dunn building. It's, it's a crazy pipe dream. Um, I don't really give a shit, um, but it's 
something to me, how I tell people about why I know what I'm doing is what I know I'm doing with my life is my passion. And what I'm supposed to be doing with my life is when I was a kid, I'd play with Legos for 12 hours a day. I'd wake up, played with Legos, do my thing. Same thing thing I tell everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And then now I'm playing with adult Legos, right? So I'm doing what I'm doing. And so for me in in, in 10 years, I think I'm still going to be with this group. I'm still going to be with this guy. I want to be with this guy for the rest of my life. I want to soak up every information and every piece of knowledge I have. I'm loyal to him. Uh, He's my idol, my hero, my mentor. Like he means a lot to me and I'm just grateful to have him in my life, but definitely taking more of a, of a general partner role in this business and, and, and being a developer myself and being able to call myself a developer. It's, it's a lot of different people being a value add real estate investor versus being a developer. And I have the goals of being a developer. Andrew, dude, great, great show. I mean, the amount of information you put in this, love it. Where can people talk to you, meet up with you, you know, learn more about you, whatever they want to do, drop it all right here. All right. You're ready. I mean, I'll give you, you going to put like information in the comments in the description yep. of the, okay. Give them my number, put my number okay. out there, put my email out there. Um, the other thing is at the value add guy um, on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter um, value add guy.com. Um, check out WG group, um, My email is Andrew at WG group, LLC.com. And then my number is nine, four, nine, five, zero, 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 five. Three, three. And then I'll get you all the stuff, Dante. Cool, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on and uh, no, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.